Welcome to Practical Access. I am Lisa Deeker. And I'm Becky Hines. And today, Becky, we got an interesting question that I'm not sure it's all we want to talk about because there's so much going on. But the question was, what innovative ideas have you both seen people doing related to connecting kids and families with disabilities in this new fast-paced online world? Got any thoughts there? Well, um, you know, Lisa, I, I, will, I don't know that these are innovative by um, everybody else's standards necessarily. However, you know, as, as we've been talking about, it's, it's almost this, it's, it's almost an issue of programming right now. Like how do we, how do we use obviously streaming and, and online meetings, et cetera, to connect people and how do we do it in a way that it makes it really accessible. So I know you've, I know you've seen some good tools for that. And I've had a very recent, i.e. right up into this moment experience trying to do some programming in that, in that way. But um, let me hear what tools you're using because I'm using pretty traditional ones. Yeah, so, you know, Becky, I've been working with districts and even my own teachers in, in Title I schools that I'm working with across um, Orange County and in Seminole. And I'm just kind of surprised that, you know, really there's kind of a plethora of tools being used across the country from Google Hangouts, which I found something interesting. People are a little worried that kids will keep hanging out afterwards. I'm like, well, guess what? They're going to do that whether it's with the school hangout or their own hangout. So again, once you give them a tool, I don't know that you can stop them from hanging out. Whereas some people like Zoom better, um, you know, which is what you and I are using today because we're quarantining ourselves, which is kind of interesting because again, then one person's in charge and then that person can hang up. Um, I hear a lot of people also talking about Microsoft Teams and the big blue button, yet one district said that they didn't have but 10 licenses for the big blue button and they didn't know how they were going to use it. And then I know you and I both have been a fan of using aspects of Adobe Connect, but then there's a cost. And then one I hadn't even thought about with Zoom is that you're really supposed to be over the age of 18. And then I've also heard about Skype. So it seems like people are really thinking about a lot. But what I keep saying is whatever your main tool is, make it simple. Let everybody use it. But do have a backup tool, not only in case that one's not working, but maybe if you're using Zoom, maybe I want to do a breakout in Google Hangout and do a conference with an individual kid. And I think it's that duality of tools that's going to be needed to kind of differentiate instruction. What are you thinking? Well, I've been working on for the last several days is designing essentially what is an interactive um, uh, visual schedule for those types of meetings because I'm really concerned about those kids who either cannot read well or who might be extremely physically impaired and, and might even use eye gaze. And a lot of the things that I'm seeing have so many steps to somebody logging in. So in thinking about that, I've had to really think about synchronous versus asynchronous. Um, what, what do I think are the safest tools? You mentioned Google Hangout. Um, the, one of the, the districts that I'm working with, um, they're using Google Classrooms, so they're using Google Hangouts. The good thing about that is you can moderate it well and let somebody into the discussion. Um, but they're also looking at how can they distribute things um, through YouTube. And it makes me laugh a little bit because I've had to listen for the last 20 years or so um, to everybody talking about how we can't let anybody get connected online because of all the safety issues. Every IT place, it feels like that 
have been. Um, so it's really interesting to me that suddenly, like, all the walls are down. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> Log in and connect. Um, so with YouTube, here's, here's the way we're thinking, because we have a pretty large audience that we're trying to reach right now. The teachers are going to be using breakout rooms for their discussions. But the goal is going to be to provide pretty much a live stream all day of what I will call edutainment. Um, of people doing walk-arounds. It might be, you know, yoga with Miss Smith, and she may or may not be your teacher, but you know what? Her goal is to design something interesting enough to engage an audience for those kids who are looking for something to do all day long. So we're kind of putting together this, this schedule of opportunities for any kid to watch. Um, YouTube if you don't know this, if you can't go live on YouTube until they have approved it. So you can't just decide today that you're gonna start streaming live on YouTube tomorrow morning. Um, also, if you, you can remove ads if you say that you're streaming to kids, but that disables the ability to comment. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty much telling all of my edutainers to be sure that they are doing look in the camera types of things, talking as though it's to an audience to, i mean a specific kid as your audience so that it feels like it's very inclusive language hey let's go for a walk we're doing this here's why i'm doing that and i'm really trying to coach people up on think alouds um, and how we can make something that isn't interactive feel interactive i would say right now those are the biggest picture kinds of things that we've been working on yeah, it's interesting too, as you mentioned YouTube and other tools, that does seem to be the lowest common denominator for many teachers who have limited tech skills, limited ability. I had one teacher who was really frustrated and I said, get one of your students to upload it. You make it, um, right. get your students to do that. And it seems like a pattern I'm hearing and maybe you're hearing the same as kind of a two for one, like two, you know, asynchronous versus synchronous um, pieces and especially for kids who might have limited bandwidth might not be able to join at a specific time of day uh, maybe our middle schoolers who might have other things going on um, so I just seem it seems like an interesting pattern time but I, I think one of the things that I also really value that I heard some teachers talking about is using YouTube to show them together as co-teachers they said you know Lisa we built such a great report together it just seems wrong for us to have separate YouTube channels but we're really gonna find a way to put ourselves in YouTube together and so I think they're gonna do like a zoom or something and then upload that to YouTube so kids see that harmony of them still teaching together because they felt like that was something that was equally important to share. So it does seem like there's lots of creative ways, but not trying to overwhelm themselves. Is that kind of what you're thinking too? It is. And that's, that's, you know, the idea of doing this as a visual schedule on an iPad or something again for a student who, who doesn't have a lot of opportunities to engage in many other routes. Um, my last thought, speaking of that actual connection and feeling connected, um, on my visual schedule during lunch, I've asked the administrators to consider logging in during lunchtime and just eating their sandwich, you know, at lunchtime. And any kid who feels like well, talking to Mr. Brown while he eats his sandwich um, would feel connected to him using Google Hangouts, which is their primary tool. 
Yeah, it's funny because I've heard a lot of really great kind of spattering of ideas like that. I, that's the first question I asked my graduate class was, you know, what are you using? And I heard great things like, you know, I'm going to have virtual office hours, which we would expect, but we're, I'm going to have virtual lunches, uh, virtual circle time, uh, virtual meet and greet time. Uh, I even heard one of them say that, you know, she's so worried because a lot of her kids are filled with trauma. She's going to enjoy ask the counselor to join her. Uh, one said she was going to do some anxiety and yoga times and then just you know let's get on and chat about what's your pet can you show your pet can you talk about what your favorite cereal is and i love that fact and i think the two that i found most interesting so far is one you know a lot of teachers seem to be getting in their cars and driving through driving through neighborhoods and waving at kids when they're not dispersed too far away that's huge and you know there's no tech involved in that um i know in our own neighborhood the police car came driving through and kids had a scheduled time they could wave at their teachers in their car but i think the one that touched my heart the most is one of um my master's teachers said, you know, I've got such a range of kids. I got a kid who can't speak. And she came up with a great idea. Every one of her kids is going to do a bedtime story. And that young man is going to do a picture book. And his mom and her have already worked it out that at each picture it'll say, what do you see in this picture? Please tell that to the screen or a friend in your room. So that there's this pattern that every kid is reading, including kids with more severe disabilities, a good night story to each other. And I thought that's to me the most powerful thing we could offer. That sounds perfect. Yeah. So in closing, the only other thing I would just mention that lots of teachers keep telling me is helpful is Google Voice. Do you know of anybody else using that? Have you heard much about that? I haven't heard about Google Voice yet, but I'll keep my ears open. Yeah, well, I think what they're saying is they're afraid, not afraid. It's a a challenge for their data plans to give out their phone numbers. So many talk about setting up a Google Voice account so that they can talk with families through another number so that they can keep their phone available for their parents who might call. So just one last idea that I kind of thought. And, you know, Becky, I think we're open to questions, but we're also thinking we might just do some open mic kinds of discussion on topics. Um, people can catch, catch us at, um, on our Twitter at Access Practical, uh, and we're seeing lots of people listening to the podcast. Do you have any last thoughts to wrap us up tonight, Beck? I do. I, I want to encourage everybody to really think a little differently about what, what we're streaming or talking about or doing. I think we, it, online learning, I know from 20 years of experience doing this now, um, we, there's a real value in thinking differently in terms of engagement. So just taking regular education and now lecturing into your webcam it may not be any more engaging than anything else. And, it, and since the kind of, you know, the, the door's wide open on what we do right now, maybe we can hone in on some of those social emotional needs and some of those functional daily living skills, some of the problem solving skills by doing things that we're, we're just modeling solving a problem. My daughter just filmed something for our district's channel of her and her boyfriend having a painting contest. It's ridiculous, but they were funny. And I think a lot of kids will like to see them and hear what they're talking about and what they're doing so they can feel like they're doing something with them. A holy world of improv and actors and actresses popping up, huh? Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. That's Practical Access.